Hey everybody, this is Todd. This is our third and final installment of our interview with Dr. John Duffy. He wrote a book called Rescuing Our Sons, Eight Solutions to Our Crisis of Disaffected Teen Boys. If you haven't listened to the first two, I encourage you to go back and then finish with this third one. And uh, Dr. John Duffy will be speaking at our conference uh, this weekend, January 26th, 27th. So hopefully you enjoy the show. Keep trucking. Some of what these girls are serving because it is life. It is big. And, um, and, and missing that, missing that viewpoint or silencing that viewpoint is such a mistake. It makes the world so sepia tone. Well, and I will say um, I've been to a million sporting events. I've been to a million concerts. I've never experienced anything close to the Taylor Swift experience. And I'm not the first one that has said that. There's plenty of, you know, macho men that have said that it's just, it's indescribable. Like, and you don't even need to know her music. You can walk there, we can walk into that stadium without ever having a, heard a single song and be moved by the experience. And it's not just her and the staging and the dancing. It's the energy of the crowd. It's it's beyond anything I've ever experienced by far. Well, and the, the big takeaway that I hope or that I think is always trying to be expressed is if you go into a bookstore, a lot of times it's like, here's the book by black authors and here's the books by female authors. And then it's like, and then here's the books <laughs> by men. You know what I mean? And then it's the same thing with movies. She's a female director. You know, uh, someone was just making the point talking about sexuality. I think it was um, Andrew Scott, who's in a good movie this year. He was saying, can we stop saying an actor is openly gay? He's like, what does that mean, openly gay? Like, does that mean I'm like, like I'm willing to, you know, he's like, can we just say he's an actor in this movie instead of the openly gay? And so it's the same idea is that the norm is as a man's take and the other takes are a woman's take. And then a, you know, a person of color's take or a person who is gay, it's the norm is that's kind of when we talk about patriarchy, which is, again, can be thrown around sometimes in a way where people don't like that word. But I'm not talking about individuals. I'm talking about the norm is a man's perspective. The water that we swim in. Correct. And that's all. It's not men or crap. It's. This is the water. This is the norm. Yeah. Um, All right. I I need to move things along. Okay. Because there's a bunch of stuff we haven't gotten to. Um, Page 109. If you Do you are, remember that page, John? I it well, Todd. <laughs> if you are a parent with a teenage boy who cannot seem to make it to school, follow my lead. It took me a while to learn that this was not a behavioral issue and that pressing and prodding wasn't going to solve the problem. Instead, I strongly urge you to soften your stance. Ask your son what's stopping him from going to school, why it seems difficult. Mm. Let him know that you have total faith in him and remind him of the resources he has available. What do you yeah. think? So, so um, a lot of there's there's so many elements of our boys' lives right now. Um, uh, I smoke weed in order to get through my day. Mm-hmm. Um, I take uh, Ritalin or Adderall because um, my behavior is not tolerable. I um, they feel enfeebled. They don't. Boys do not feel strong and competent and resilient and capable. Um, there is a, they lead a lot of the times with what they, what their deficits are. I'm really depressed. I'm really anxious. Um, I, I don't really know what I'm doing. Uh, I'm not very smart, uh, not very likable, likable or not well liked. And so, uh, tapping out becomes pretty easy. And so, 
um, school refusal uh, since the pandemic has become like like the, it, about 20% of kids have, in the past semester missed 18 or more days of school. So, you know, like it's kind of on the table in a way that it wasn't, you know, five years ago. And, um, and that's one way that this feeling of incapacity uh, rears its head. And if you just, if you're just looking at a behavior and your, your, your sole focus as a parent is on that behavior, and I'm going to uh, eradicate that behavior from my kid's life, from my boy's life, you're going to play whack-a-mole like that. Mm-hmm. Another behavior will rear its head and, um, and you will, you will make yourself and your, and your kid crazy and create a divide between you because you're, you're not understanding what drives it. And if you understand the why it's all about the why everything, everything is about like, why is my kid doing or not doing the thing, you know? And if you can get down to that, that understanding, then first of all, he, you get him and he knows you like somebody's hearing me and I can say the hard thing, you know, to my mom or my dad, I can say the hard thing and I'm not getting rejected and they're going to help me through that. I'm not alone in this thing. So maybe with, with this army behind me, I can make it through and have some faith in myself. Um, and you guys might remember, this is my story too. Yeah. Um, that, you know, like I, uh, started having panic attacks when I was in eighth grade. They were profound. And I thought, I can't, my mom effectively told me, don't talk about this again. We will leave this restaurant because you're panicky, but never talk about it again. And so I didn't and just dealt with it alone. And that's part of the reason I lead with like the smile and the grin, because mm-hmm. that was what I was told to do. But it was, I suffered for years and it was mm-hmm. brutal. And and I see that in the kids I work with. And and all it would take is a moment from a parent asking that question. You're like, so you're not going to school. What's the deal? Like, you know, like that's um, th- I, I, I would be mad about that, but I know that you're not doing it to make me mad. So help right. me understand and really go for understanding. If that had happened with me, oh, my God, mm-hmm. I would have been, been spared so much yeah. pain, honestly. Totally, totally. Uh, that's wonderful. Like, I just think about that question, you know, because um, we because I agree with you. Um, you know, you you were saying in your book that it's more boys who have school refusal. And, you know, now for a lot of reasons, which you covered. Um, but when I was working with kids who had school refusal way back when, even before I had JC, when I was at Children's Memorial or Lurie Children's Hospital, I, I never get that right. But all of my kids who wouldn't go to school that I had to work on with school refusal were still boys, John. And there weren't as many. And again, I was in a partial setting, partial hospitalization. So, of course, these were extreme cases, but it, they were boys. And so... I know you just spoke to this. I don't want to make you repeat, but what it, what do you see as those links between boys not wanting to go to school? Because, and, and let me say this just for everybody, I, I have a daughter who didn't want to go to school for a while too. So girls have school refusal. Like it's not, sure. but why are there more boys? Like what, what are the pieces that, that people can understand a little better? Um, I think it, I think it does come back to emotional intelligence okay. and um, under understanding what you're going through, like, you know, because if boys could could understand and articulate and we're free to, you know what I mean? So if masculinity and the definition of it allowed the vulnerability of like, I've got this anxiety about about going there or I I am lost in my chemistry class and I just don't I can't find my yes. way through it. You know what I mean? Like there's 
there's some underlying, you know, maybe, and there might be a bully, whatever it is, right? You know, um, that 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 it's okay to say it. And um, I think for our girls, it's more often than not okay to say the thing. Yeah. Uh, and for our boys, um, they're not sure. So they often opt for, I'm not going to. I'm not going to say the thing. I'm just going to sit on it and suffer it and grit my way through it because I think that's my only option. Nobody's really, nobody's going to want to hear. They're going to think I'm making excuses, making something up. And so I'll take the lazy label or the f***ed up label or whatever it is, and I'll just move on with my life right here in this house. Well, and that- said, said in less words, asking for help is a weakness, according to most men and boys. And asking for help from a girl or woman is not as much or a weakness at all. Actually, that makes total sense. Thank you for clarifying. Because I, you know, every, you, we've already talked about this a million times, but you're right. That connection to school challenge versus the inability challenge to articulate it and then the challenge from the person in your home being able to not say man up <laughs> and yeah. instead say yeah it's okay that you hurt you know too about this like we you know there's all this work to be done as you said you're doing a lot of parent coaching now that some our kids can learn this like you know uh, you know and I know as a therapist with teen kids they'll you talk to them about it they get it they're like okay I'm gonna do this but if they yeah. go home and the message is no no you can't do this, then where do they go? And I'm wondering, do you see that boys have a lot of physical issues because they're pressing down their emotions? Like how did, how does it look? What do boys complain about physically? Yes. Yeah. So there, there are boys absolutely have a lot of physical complaints and they're, they're not moving. So they're very aware mm. of like their bodies and they're, they're, they feel fragile and sensitive so that I hear, more complaints about headaches, gastrointestinal problems, like yeah. all the time. Um, um, a, a lot of boys complain about like sexual problems, like not being able to perform sexually, you know, like and feeling like physically there's something wrong with me and not recognizing I might be desensitized because I'm watching pornography too much or, you well, know. That, uh, and that's a wonderful segue because I was about to go there. And there's two parts of the book because, you know, I've, we Kathy and I have been talking about porn forever on this podcast. Do you know what time it is? Yeah. Okay. We're going to split this in two. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, good. Already, okay. Keep already, going. I already got some ideas. All right. All right. Um, Sorry. The two, the two pieces. <laughs> we have been here for a minute. Yeah. It's been, a, it's like we're really getting into the it. The two pieces that I thought were new to me was this page 116. Porn does not make young men feel powerful sexually or otherwise over women. I didn't read that well. Porn does not make young men feel powerful sexually or otherwise over women. Quite the contrary. Most young men I've worked with have reported to me that they feel women hold all the power in this regard. Mm. This this far too often leaves boys resentful of girls and men resentful of women. So say something about that, Doc. Yep, yep. Uh, that That is way too often that is true, that there is this resentment that, you know, like um, girls don't want me, girls don't want me sexually. And, and this sometimes comes from boys who have never approached a girl, you know, like, or, or asked her anything. They're just anxious about it. Um, but that idea that girls hold the power there, they decide whether something is going to happen. There's going to be some intimate connection. Um, a lot of boys believe that. And I've worked with a lot of men. I've worked with men my age who believe that yeah. and resent women for that. Um, uh, I, I think that's part of the divide between men and women. And one thing I've learned 
talking to girls and young women is that's not how girls and young women feel. You know, like they feel like, hey, let, we're all for this being like a, a mutual decision. Let make sure we're safe in any given situation. Um, that's a huge, huge thing. And and that's not always a given. But then we can decide together. Then we can decide how this is going to go together in a really intimate way. Um, boys are not yet open enough to hear that messaging. And, um, and that causes a big problem. And so all of their sexual experience, I, I'm, I'm overgeneralizing here, mm -hmm. but for a lot of boys, a lot of their sexual experience comes just from watching porn. Yeah. Okay, so doubling down on the porn conversation, uh, page 117, quote, I am not that turned on by my girlfriend, Duffy. Do you think I might be gay? Mm. I find myself testing my physical reaction to attractive men, and I'm worried I may be homosexual or bisexual. And then you talk about HOCD, homosexual obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, I never heard of this. This was brand new to me, so I'm just wondering if you can share a little bit more. Yeah, so the past seven or eight years or so, I have worked with, I don't know, 15, 20 young men who have this persistent uh, question in their minds about is there something um, wrong with me sexually or am I gay? Like, you know, and um, to be clear, I can't remember one of these guys uh, – being upset about the possibility of being gay. Oh. They just didn't know because if you picture like that the sexual response is is on a meter. If you if you watch enough porn, that meter becomes so poorly calibrated mm -hmm. that you just don't know you you you're not you don't know where where your real turn-ons in the real world are. And so porn becomes kind of your sole source of that and it has really diminishing returns in terms of excitement or spark or joy or anything like that because it's one dimensional and it's not real and they and you're aware of that in real time um and so uh yeah and so a lot of guys question their own sexuality and you can imagine that that has them recoiling yeah. so they're not like they're not looking for intimate connecting experiences, they're specifically not engaging in them. And this is more and more guys all the time. It's a it's a pretty significant concern. And the reason I included it is because it's another one of those things I don't think many people have ever heard of. HOCD is not in any manual yet, but I've heard of it often enough and experienced it with guys often enough that I know it is a burgeoning syndrome that yeah. we need, we're going to have to address. Yeah. Um, okay. We're going to talk about weed real quick. Um, this is from your book. Uh, emotional expression is, in my experience, the answer to the weed problem, as well as the solution to many of the other maladies. Is that how you pronounce that word? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Our boys suffer. Keep in mind that difficult conversations often precede open emotional expression. So be prepared to have those hard talks. Hang in with him and trust that's the process, not one moment in time. That will bring good results and lasting benefits. I'm asking for some mighty parenting here, but you won't regret it. So your solution to the weed problem is giving and encouraging and giving space to boys to be emotionally expressive. Yeah, yeah, um, it, it is. And I that probably feels like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense or it's hard to draw the connection between these two things. But weed is um, so 
first of all, it's kind of omnipresent, right? Mm -hmm. There's so many delivery methods for weed and it's legal in a lot of places. There's no taboo around it. And, um, and it does a pretty decent job for some guys of curbing anxiety a little bit, not to get out there and thrive. It's not a motivating drug, um, but it flattens things out so you can make it through the day, you know, and really like most of the guys I work with who smoke a lot of weed or vape a lot of weed, they're just making it through the day. And um, emotionally, they're flat. Like, the, the, And that's the goal. The goal of smoking is not to feel anything. And it's kind of like uh, one guy said, it's, it's kind of like um, declaring yourself dead until you have a reason to live. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and so um, I'm just going to check out and hopefully a day will come where I am stimulated by something in the world enough where I'm willing to step away from this way of life. Mm. Because weed, for a lot of young men and teenage boys, is a way of life. It is it is um, literally what gets them, gets their time to pass. Mm-hmm. Nothing's yeah. happening. Nothing's happening. They're well aware that nothing's happening. It's not, there's, it, it's joyless and it's emotionless and it's flat. But there, it's it's just a way to keep the heart beating in case something good happens. Mm-hmm. So if you engage with them, then something good starts to happen pretty quickly because they start to feel something, right? You know, um, and it, especially if you allow that, if you encourage that and allow that, and you share how you're feeling, even if you share. Not long ago, I witnessed a father and a son talking about the son's weed intake, and the dad started bawling. Mm-hmm. And talking about how much he missed him. And it was this beautiful, painful moment. But you could see something change in this kid where he was like, okay, that's all, that's all I needed. That's all I was waiting for is like, you know, somebody to let me know they see me and that I matter to them. And okay, I, I'm gonna take a little I'm gonna take a, a toe out of this box and, and see how it feels out there. Mm. But weed is just it's 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 a um, a, a fear um, reducing drug. And that, that's really all it does for the vast majority of people who are smoking a lot of it. And there's a lot of young guys. 30 years ago, the greatest threats to teen health were drunk driving, pregnancy, and illicit drugs. Today, they are anxiety, depression, suicide, self-harm, cyberbullying, screen time, and serious mental health disorders. Their experience is vastly different than our own. So let's get together and talk about it. ZPR 2024 is a two-day in-person live event, January 26th and 27th in Chicago. Go to zenparentingradio.com and get your tickets. Join the circle, which is the Team Zen membership platform. It's an app with Zen Parenting Radio's complete parenting content, plus live talks on Zoom all in one place. We have small group discussions about money, raising healthy sons, differently wired families, and Kathy even has her own exclusive women's group. It's only $25 a month. You can cancel at any time. Our motto is zero pressure, 100% support. Yeah, I love that you 
you say it's omnipresent because it's totally true. This generation views weed through such a different lens. It's everywhere. Like you said, you can buy it legally and, you know, people have access to it so easily. And it's interesting because, you know, a while back, 30 minutes ago in this conversation, when you were talking about like, Todd, you're talking about being in a football game or you guys were talking about, you know, cheering and like hugging is, and, you know, John, you were saying, or Todd, you were saying it's not that vulnerable. And I'm like, until you add alcohol and then men all of a sudden can, and women can do this too. The inhibitions go down. You start to say, I love you, man. You might kiss him on the cheek. You might hold him longer. You might say you're my best friend. So alcohol like allows um, people, uh, non-gender specific to speak and weed keeps us from speaking. It feels like it feels like it decreases our vulnerability in a different way, it keeps us more quiet. And I know that, you know, some, sometimes weed can make you say crazy things too, um, sure. where you start to go to recesses of your brain where you're like, wow, I'm seeing things totally. So I'm not saying it's always that way, but it's interesting how we utilize, how we, um, you know, self-medicate to get our needs met. And in this information, alcohol and weed tells us what we, what we want. I want to be able to say who I am. I want to be able to speak up and connect and and I also want to be accepted for all these feelings. Yeah, no, and alcohol is a great counterpoint, right? Because it's like this great disinhibitor, and and sometimes like this real part of us that we want to show comes out totally. Um, and and weed just just brings everything down to this flatness. And um, you know, uh, weed weed is is um, to me uh, such a um, it's kind of a depressing phenomenon yeah. that that. that it's so, so omnipresent. Uh, the occasional use of it kind of cracks me up. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. like if somebody is actually getting high, you know, yeah. like I am uh, a, a teetotaler by nature, but I can be like, if I'm with somebody who's high, I can like find this, like, <laughs> like I can join them in that space. But if it's just to be flat, it's just so heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. and, you, and you can see it like, you know, it shows up on the couch and literally like it shows up physically um, where if I'm working with, a, I can tell walking in the door yeah. um, if a boy uses weed a lot because it, it, literally it's like the, there's no there's no muscle mass, there's no bone structure. He's just like on the couch, but kind of just flopped, just like somebody dropped him there. You know, I, and we're probably finishing up here, but I want to give you props for something, Duffy, is you were one of the first people in, in this clinical space and in this media space to really talk about jewels and, uh, you, you know, jewel, I think it's called, maybe I shouldn't put an S on it, um, that that vaping and the nicotine that kids were consuming, you were seeing from your clients was really a problem. And I feel like you were one of the first people to really be like, no, 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 it needs to be gone. This is not something we need to just talk to our kids about. It needs to go away. And Jewel really, um, I don't know that Jewel is gone, but I feel like, do you feel like that shifted at all, the nicotine space, or is it just as bad? Um, it, it's uh, it's way better. Okay, um, good. Jewel is by and large gone. You know, um, if you have a Jewel, you are not cool. Um, okay, cool. There's there's still like, there, there's Zin, like there's, you know, like there's still like, you know, pouches and things like that. So there's still a, a, um, uh, there, there's still a little bit of a gateway drug thing between weed and nicotine, but it's not, it, it didn't go where I was afraid it was going to go. Mm. Um, Good. so like to your point, like, you know, that, um, it, I remember reading like a year or two ago, there was a story in the New York times about Jewel, And I'm like, this is so late for this to be showing up now. It's totally. Heard. Um, but it was luckily it was on the back end, I think, of that trend. And I think we're I, I, I hope we're through that space. I don't think we're through the space with vaping weed, 
But vaping nicotine and the the, the nicotine craze, I think um, people realize the limited utility of that. Well, and that's kind of, you know, everybody listening here probably already knows you, but it gives you a reason why you need to buy John's book because he's always kind of, he's cutting edge about what's going on with our boys. So in two years, you're going to read an article in the New York Times about, is weed a problem for our boys? And John's <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I could have told you this a long time ago. So we are, you know, he's he's on the front lines. And so this is, that's why I wanted to bring that up because I just remember you being so adamant. It ga- it just gave me so, it gave me a better foundation to, cause I wasn't seeing it as much with girls. I know girls were doing it. Don't get me wrong, but yours was so, you know, you're like, dude, they're all doing it. So the, the problems that we didn't get to, I just want to say them out loud, the mass shooter problem, Ugh. the video game problem, the sexual assault problem, the bully problem and the sports betting problem. So, we have to cut this somewhere, so I feel like we have to cut it here. Anything, uh, any, anything that you want to highlight amongst any of those problems, John? I know it's a big ask because you know it's a good chunk of your book, but anything specific? Yeah, I mean, all, all of it's kind of of a piece, right? All of it is boys and and how their pain shows up. Um, uh, the one that probably jumps out at me that I'd like to, to comment on is the school shooter, the mass shooter problem, right? Because um, this is something now, now uh, on average in a school, on any given school day in the U.S., there is a, ma- a mass shooting. Like, and I think that's three or more people being shot, right, with, mm-hmm. a, with a gun. I mean, this is the craziest thing to be able to say. And so um, I think there's one recorded case of a female yeah. mass shooter. Um, uh, other than that, it's been all boys and young men. And um, and. It, what, what I want to say about that is the vast majority of the time, uh, the angst that these guys that we're talking about, that these guys feel is turned inward with that kind of um, self-loathing, you know, uh, but on occasion it's turned outward. Right. And, and, and that's where that's where a headline is made. And um, and not not kids are terrified of, of school shooters. But what I want to say is I want us to think upstream a little bit. And if we can imagine that uh, we instill some degree of emotional intelligence and understanding and a soft place to land and some gentleness in the lives of these boys, right? Um, And I know uh, asking for empathy for somebody who commits something, who does something so frigging wretched and awful is is an absurdity. Uh, But going forward, if we want to stem the tide of this, we have to recognize like, yes, it's the guns. I friggin' hate the guns and um, I shouldn't be elected to office because I would say, okay, your second amendment, repeal. We're coming for your guns. Right. <laughs> um, that said, I think our profession, my profession is too adamant in saying it's not about emotional pain. Mm. But there is emotional pain mm-hmm. there, you know, like there is. And, and I think I think we're missing something if we don't recognize that. And, you know, if we need any other reason to look at these boys and say, oh, let's let's intervene and and ease their pain and give them voice and teach them to express themselves in good, positive, appropriate ways emotionally, I think. I think we stem the tide. I think that we don't see school shootings every day. Um, It might not happen next year or the year after that, but at some point, 
I think we can beat this thing. Mm-hmm. But I think it's more uh, an effort from more than one angle. For sure. Oh, that's very, I, I appreciate that optimism. I uh, do. And, I, and I, I'm with you. I think it's, to your point, I think we're just way too binary in this country as far as it's not that, it's this. And it's right. all combined. It's all you know, I'm totally with you about, you know, actually at our conference next weekend, one of our, you know, sponsors is Moms Demand. Like, that's a huge part of Todd and my life, you know, right? Like, we, love yes. we, I love them. And at the same time, the other part of the conference is emotional intelligence for for all genders. So we we don't just do one, we do it all and and everybody everybody wants the same outcome. That's where we're yes. all on the same page. You know? I, we don't disagree on this. I don't care political affiliation. Everybody wants the same outcome, which is not to have this violence occur. Yeah. Um, yeah. Part five, the solutions. I'm just going to read them, and you come and say you got to let Duffy go. He we're, he's, he said he's got all afternoon. Sweetie. I know, but we're but we're you know like it's but Wait, keep well, let's let's let's, let's t- finish let's up. Touch okay, let's okay, touch okay, go ahead, Toddy. The value of work, the value of movement, physical touch, mm. friendships, the usefulness of therapy, and calling on all dads. Which of those would you like to make any comments on? I'm going to, I'm going to combine a couple. Um, <laughs> uh, so let me see if I can do a hat trick here. Um, uh, I'm going to, uh, the message to all dads, uh, uh, physical touch, um, and, and, and some emotional intelligence built in. Um, a lot of boys tell me that they never touch anybody and nobody ever touches them. Oh, God. Um, and, and I always find that so striking because I always think about those studies done with infant like yes. babies newborns right where you know it's like okay touch is literally like necessary for life yes. but you know like it's also like the way we thrive and so much is delivered in that way um there's a story that i will i will probably tell on a stage in front of you guys next week um my dad was uh he was a flawed parent in a lot of ways um he didn't have any patience. He um, he was not emotionally available. He was out at AA meetings or away at work most of the time. But every day, every single day that I can remember until the day he died, he kissed me on my forehead. Mm. Every single day. Mm. And that that was enough. Like that, mm. that's all I needed to know. Like, okay, somehow. Like, I don't really know this man very well, but I know he loves me mm-hmm. and I know we're good. Mm-hmm. Somehow I fundamentally inherently know that. And um, and to, to have a boy tell me like, yeah, I don't remember the last time I touched anybody. And, and so there's this intimacy gap, but also like the meaning behind touch, yeah. right? You know, like it, it's, it's, it's so, it's such a vital part of our lives and that, that, that our guys are missing that. And they're not getting that from their dad specifically, mm-hmm. right? Like in the idea of physical affection between a father and son, like, like the moms and daughters I saw dancing together in the streets, right? You know, like all I'm asking for from dads is like, just give your kid a hug. Just give him a surprise him with a hug or a mm-hmm. kiss on the forehead or just a moment, right? Just just rub their hair, you know, like and, and surprise them that I sometimes believe like maybe that's all we need. Like if, if nothing else is available to us, if our well of our own emotional intelligence is tapped out or we're just wiped out and exhausted from our own lives, just show a little affection, get a little back and your kid will know like, okay, 
something's okay here in this world. <laughs> like so, there's there's something okay and I've got somebody I can rely on when it's all down. Like nobody said it and maybe nobody has to because I just know it. I just like fundamentally like with me and my dad, I know if it hit the fan, we're good. He'd be there for me. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. You know, something my girls pointed out to me years ago was the man hug, how when men come in and then they grab hands and then they hug and they keep a hand between them and the guy like it's they're covering their hearts. Mm. I'm sorry to get, you know, into the physicality of it, but there's like, I'm going to hug you, but I'm going to keep my heart separate. And even oh. though that's not the intention, I I appreciate now. If it, that's, is, it is the intention. We got to protect it ourselves. Is, but maybe it's unconscious intention is what yeah, I mean. Yeah, for sure. Like they're not like, I'm going to protect. But if that's if you're doing that, that's good. Like, I'm not saying stop doing that, but maybe move your hand Have a real hug. and hug in a way where it feels kind of vulnerable and sappy. Because again, getting sometimes we're so like, ooh, the sappiness, you know, as all kids say, as you know, Duffy, awk, you know, they're like, oh my God, it's so awk. But you know what? Awk is like sometimes we're getting to the core of we're we're touching a place that's like new and uncomfortable. And it's not always bad. Even if you're it's that's sometimes what we remember, you know? And so um you know, again, I just I'm just pointing that out because sometimes when boys and men do hug, there's still such protection. Like it's so, a, it's a man hug. I I I, uh, I think I have a way to wrap this up. Okay, in a good, way. good. Um, so I uh, I was talking to my son last night. George stopped by, um, and uh, and he's like, "Well, what, what are you doing?" And I said, "Oh, I'm getting ready for the Zen Parenting Conference. That's next week." He goes, "Man." I remember when I came to that, uh, and I uh, and I and I asked him like, you know, what do you what do you remember? And I thought, you know, you remember Dad's talk, yeah. you know, like <laughs> how great your dad was. He said, I remember meeting Todd because um, I went to shake his hand and he just hugged me, and oh. I was just like hugging him, <laughs> and we hugged, bro. Like I, it felt like I'd known that guy for a long time. <laughs> And I remember that moment too, because I was like choked up. I, mm-hmm. I was, it was this beautiful moment where these two men that I love, mm-hmm. like are finally meeting and they're like close, like right away. And it was just beautiful. And uh, we just need so much more of that. Well, and, and I don't remember. I'm grateful to you for hugging him. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, a lot. it, I guess, I don't know how to say this without sounding like a jerk or boastful, but I don't remember that, but it makes sense. I would, George is somebody that I would hug because I know that you love this man. And if you love him, then he's on my team. So, but (laughs) the difference is what I realize mostly between guys is we all want the same thing. We want the physical touch, but we're too scared to initiate. And I, I got sick of being scared about a decade ago. So now I initiate and about one out of 10 times, somebody's like, dude, why are you doing this? <laughs> but but the other nine times, it is embraced. Like, oh, we can do this? Like, everybody's like, oh, we could do this? And my invitation for any men out there is initiate. Put yourself out there and strike up a vulnerable conversation. Talk about how life isn't that great right now. Talk about how you're struggling right now as a parent or as a, as a partner. 
give somebody a long extended hug. There's some men in my life that give these like long 12 second hugs. And in the beginning, I know them well enough to know that this is the type of hug I'm going to get from this guy. Whereas mine are usually just a few seconds and I break, but there's men that just are really good at hugging. And I tell them, I'm like, you're such a good hugger. And I think that I'm probably an exception. There's probably most guys out there that are 51 years old don't have all these other random friends who are really good at hugging. Like it's totally. I think foreign. you're right. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's an anomaly. Yeah. I I remember my my brother's funeral. My brother Tom died, you know, twenty uh, some years ago, and my friend Mark. Um, Mark is a a uh, a great big black man, and um and uh my family is walking out of this uh chapel, and it is the saddest time of my life. And, um, and a couple people say things and, and it's nice to hear, um, have a moment with some people and Mark just, he was standing there with his Mm. arms open Mm. and and he just pulled me in and he did not let me go Mm. until I fell apart. Mm. Like until, and I did, it was, and and we were, so we're both like literally bouncing, crying (laughs) and, and, um, and it was, I needed it so bad. You know what I mean? I needed that. I needed that release. I hadn't had it for the whole week since he had died. And, um, yeah, there's, there's something amazing in that. That's beautiful. All right. The name of John's book is rescuing our sons, eight solutions to our crisis of disaffected teen boys, uh, came out a month or two ago. He's going to be speaking on stage on Saturday at the Zen parenting conference. Hopefully you bought your tickets. If you haven't buy them because we do, do still have some tickets left. Uh, are you going to be there on Friday too, John? Hell yes. Nice. That's what I was hoping you'd say. <laughs> John's in for the whole thing. He's our teammate. Oh, yeah. I'm not missing the moment of it. Yes. Um, sweetie, anybody, anybody listen, you got to come. You, you got to come. come. Like, I, I want to pitch the conference for a second because it is <laughs> the greatest thing. If you haven't been to this weekend, you have got to protect time to come because uh, I don't know how Todd and Kathy talk about this <laughs> week to week, but it is the it's a great way to sharpen your parenting toolbox it is a great way to re-energize yourself as a parent it also is a a joyful um emotionally connecting beautiful event where you will meet friends that you will have for the rest of your life uh it's an important thing to attend he's mm. Come and meet us next weekend. Awesome. Oh, thank you, John. And that's in, you know, you, we've used the word joylessness in this conversation a lot because that's part of what boys feel is what do I have to look forward to? And that's kind of the goal. I mean, of your work, John, of the podcast, of the conference, like there is so much joy like we it's there it's around us all the time we just have to like see it that's the thing is sometimes with boys we don't need to give them something to be joyful about they've already got it inside of them we just have to point to it and say it's okay and it's the same with parents like sometimes people leave the weekend and they're like oh yeah like it's not like you have to deconstruct yourself and become a new person you just have to remember you're kind of funny already and you kind of know what your kid needs and you don't have to be in this role of parent you get to be you and your kid will respond to that and so i thank you for saying all those nice things um see you on friday and then we'll catch everybody else on zen parenting next week we love you john conference wrap up thanks guys keep trucking Hey, everybody. We're thrilled to announce that the Zen Parenting Conference is back live and in person in 2024. This year, our exclusive event will be centered around teens. Why? 
because 30 years ago, the greatest threats to teen health were drunk driving, pregnancy, and illicit drugs. Today, it's currently anxiety, depression, suicide, self-harm, cyberbullying, and serious mental health disorders. Their experience is vastly different than our own. So let's get together and talk about it. We owe it to them to listen, to have honest conversations, and to live our way through it together. If you're currently parenting a teenager or have an emerging teen, this is an event you absolutely won't want to miss. We have limited seating this year, so secure your spot now. Go to zenparentingradio.com. If you have appreciated or enjoyed a decade of Zen Parenting Radio podcasts, please tell a friend or leave a five-star review. We are grateful for your support. If you want more Zen Parenting, consider joining Team Zen Circle, our very own app that includes our virtual community, exclusive content, and support from us. You could also purchase Kathy's award-winning book, Zen Parenting, Caring for Ourselves and Our Children in an Unpredictable World, or subscribe to Zen Parenting Moment. You can find these opportunities and more at zenparentingradio.com slash resources. And if you want to connect through social networking, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep trucking, and we'll talk to you again next week.